Oh, I can speak up. You just don't want me to. So, are you leaving or just fine? Just organizing. Okay, organizing. Good. All right. So, for those of you unawares, uh, we not only have guests from Waxaw who are moving around with children and babies and hand things, uh, but we also have. The Wright Boys back in town. <laughs> Jeremy and Josh. <laughs> Somebody sing. The boys are back in town. The boys are back in town. <laughs> yeah, okay. Thank you, dude. Everyone. Yeah, that's right. For those of you who didn't hear this morning, Sunday what? That's good. I, my kids used to play with it. Um, Sunday was Susie's birthday. Mazel Tov, Susie. Many happy returns of the day. We are trying to put together a Hebrew class based on Learn Biblical Hebrew, which Wayne is going to be teaching. It looks like we're probably going to be doing that on the off Shabbatot. Uh, that'll probably be here. And we're thinking about an hour, hour and a half. And then probably close with prayer, send you home so I can get a schnooze. And uh, so that's the deal. Um, you'll find that the books are extraordinarily uh, robust as well as cost-effective, um, but this will not move forward until you add your name to the sign-up list, which Wayne is coming down the aisle with now. Yes, there he is. So I'm going to pass that around. Uh, if you're interested, we are we are passing a thing to collect your names. Okay. About a year, roughly. That might be about a year to do it, or six months, depending on how fast people leave. There we go. So that's the deal there. Now, uh, in addition. This young lady over here, and this young lady right here, that would be Michaela and Grace, are leaving mañana, that'd be tomorrow for those of you in Gastonia, um, to fly to the Holy Land with Greg Upham, who we all hate for going by himself. <laughs> and somebody's got to do it. So um, I'm going to ask uh, two or three guys to just uh, stand now and lift them up and pray for their safety, pray especially for the moms and their broken hearts and wanting to and longing to go to the land, not just to be at the land, but to actually be with their daughters for safety, for uh, learning the language, etc., etc. So 
uh, we're gonna we're gonna lift them up and we're gonna let the dads take a breather from doing that. So um, you're up, you're up, and you're up. That would not be Europe, but we're <laughs> European. That's right. And then uh, I'll close this out. So Jerry, would you start us out, please? Sure. Father God, we uh, come to say we just praise you and bless you for who you are. We thank mm. you for this uh, opportunity, Lord, that has come to Michaela and Grace to you, go to your land, Father, mm. and to study, uh, study the word of Hebrew. And, and Father, we just pray for their safety and pray for their wisdom and guidance as, as they go about there. And uh, Lord, they continue, that they just uh, uh, learn as much as possible, Lord, and, yes, and, um, and they increase their knowledge. Of your sacred, wonderful word. Thank you. So we thank you for them. We also pray for the parents, Lord. Just give them, uh, give them peace as their uh, children go about, and Lord, uh, uh, just um, uh, help them, uh, help them with their uh, understanding of, of what their children are about to do. Mm -hmm. So we thank you for that, and just uh, uplift them, uplift them to you at this time. Thank you, Father. Well, I pray that you might be with. Uh, Michaela and Grace and uh, Greg as they travel, keep them safe. Father, I pray that you might also uh, bless Grace and Michaela as they are in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. that they may know the eternal city as you know it, yes. that they may love it like you love it. Thank you. And Father, when they see the lights and the dust, may they always remember that it is the city of the King, our Messiah. I pray that you might bless them as they go in Yeshua's name. Mm -hmm. Father, we do pray for, uh, for safety for Michaela and Grace and for Greg as they are. Uh, uh, travel uh, tomorrow and, and uh, the great returns and then uh, we pray Father for safety for Michaela and Grace while they're uh, in the land for uh, for several weeks. Uh, we pray Father that they would uh, would actively look for opportunities to minister to others while they're there. Yes, Father. And would not shy away from those opportunities, but would, uh, would take advantage of those that you present uh, before them. We pray for a tremendous learning experience for them and uh, we do pray for their parents, Father, that uh, they would also uh, grow in their trust of you while their daughters are away. Yes, right. We uh, trust them to you and, and uh, pray for a tremendous uh, opportunity, a tremendous time for them while they're away. Father, we ask that, uh, above all things, that as people meet Michaela and Grace, it would be so totally obvious and evident the faith that they have in your Messiah, Yeshua. Father, we... Uh, pray not only for opportunities but for quick wit for safety and the opportunity to share their faith openly and without fear Father I pray that this would be a wonderful ex exceptional and extraordinary time for them in their walk with you uh, that they would uh, be at the wall praying and understand the closeness physical closeness that they can have while they're in your city the city of the king the King of Kings. Father, we, uh, we thank you for their testimony, for the opportunity to pray for them. And we lift up the uh, families on both sides. And we pray these things. Mishem Yeshua HaMashiach Ananenu. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and our Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. I'm expecting cards, letters, pictures, you know, at least, you know, one. Vlogging, vlogging, something like that. Yeah, cool. All right, so, yeah. Good. Don't use Blogspot. Don't use Blogspot. Okay. That's true. This is the uh, 14th portion of the year, the 12th, uh, I mean, the second portion in, uh, 
in Exodus or Shemot, Vayira, I appeared, and uh, we will uh, we will begin by looking at an overview of exactly what this is all about. We need to get the food back in there so it can be packed up. Good. All right. So, in a nutshell, in one sentence, if somebody said, I'm going to jump off this bridge, if you can't tell me what Vayira is all about, what would you say, Sean? Uh, the beginning of the plagues. The beginning of the plagues. Scott? Really? <laughs> guy's diving off the bridge now. I, some other guy said it. Um, Moses is interceding on behalf of his people, and Pharaoh is hardening his heart, and God is showing his strength to not only his people, but to Pharaoh, as the Pharaoh uh, decides to lie and be stubborn. To my journalist friend, to rebut the run-on sentence, you would say... <laughs> the beginning of God's redemption of his people? The beginning of God's redemption of his people, Rebecca. Set up for the exit. The setup for the Exodus. Wow. Yeah. Good. I like it. I like it. Yes. Wait. Those are sentence fragments, by the way. Sentence fragments. Adonai. That is the word. The name of Hashem. Okay. So we get an introduction to another aspect of his character as we open this particular portion. Good. The good, good. The battle, Taylor. Battle of the gods. The battle of the gods. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. If I spit on you, just <laughs> grab the tie if you need to use it. Are you okay? I'm gonna make Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna go back and forth. Okay. The battle of the gods. Anybody else? The necromancers can't hang. <laughs> <laughs> Give up after three. <laughs> That's great. That's great. All right. Why would the um, why would the why would the folks the Chazal Chachamenu Zichronam Levracha why would our sages of blessed memory have chosen the Haftarah or the reading from the prophets to be Ezekiel? What was it? Twenty-seven. Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Twenty-nine. 29. 28, and 29. Right. Why were they chosen that? Well, the month was perfect. It was. We were in the middle, the pretty, end of the pretty smacky. Month, yeah. About the tenth, tenth month. month which yeah. Is cool. So what? What was besides the calendar? What else? Lori. Judgment on Egypt. It's it's all about judgment on Egypt. I saw for the first time this year that Egypt. This is the Joseph translation. Will be puny. I like that, actually. You know? Okay. Can you spell Morsi? Tiny? Morsi? Tiny? Sorry. No, it's... Yeah. So, why would Flame Foundation have chosen Revelation chapter 16 in its entirety to go with Vayira? The plagues. We're just... I mean, we're full, full of plagues, right? Oh, yeah. Plagues in the back, plagues in the middle, plagues in the front. Right. And there's a big parallel, right? I mean, it's... It's astonishing. It's astonishing. Good. You're standing. I feel like I'm waiting for a table. I mean, the table is set. Come on, find a chair. Find a chair. All right.
Verse 3, I appeared to Abraham. I'm in chapter 6 of Shemot, or Exodus. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, but with my name Adonai, yod Hey and vav Hey. I did not make myself known to them. What does that mean? I'm sorry? I like it, it is a great question. Thank you. Thank you. I think what stood out to me that was kind of cool here is that the Hebrew, this is translated very well, because it says, my name Adonai, I did not make myself known to them. I think traditionally, whenever I've read in the past, whenever people have described it to me, I've thought about, like, they did not know me by this name. But that's not what it says. It says, I did not make myself known to them by this name. It's on his side, not them. Right. So it's not a lack of understanding. It's a lack of revelation. Right. Because I think we definitely get throughout the book of Genesis that Abraham and them use this name for God. Absolutely. But he has not revealed to them what the name means. And I think that here we see this name is intimately related to covenant promises and redemption. And grabbing onto a people and really showing them that you are his people. Yes, ma'am. But doesn't God say to Abraham, I am Hashem, walk before me and be perfect? Right. Yes, he did. So that seems to be like God revealing himself by that name. I'm just, I don't know, wondering what that means. Okay, good. Good. Oh, yeah, no, the, 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 we actually see two names used throughout this portion for God, other than El Shaddai in retrospect. But, uh, uh, Elohim is used, as well as Hashem. Uh, Elohim is used in regard to the Egyptians, that he is a God of judgment, power, and, and, and power. This is the same revelation that we had all the way through the book of Genesis. Uh, we never see him as merciful and uh, compassionate from a perspective of covenant faithfulness, which is what Hashem, we've come to know Hashem means. So Abraham may have known that God was merciful and compassionate, and yet what we see is even while he's arguing for Sodom and Gomorrah, that he recognizes God as judgment, and he's and, you know, he's appealing to God's compassion and mercy, but there's no covenant there. And so the name Hashem is worthless to the, you know, the dwellers of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. The Egyptians are going to know him as Elohim. Yeah, not, not as Hashem. As an analogy to that point, um, individuals can have different titles or names that denote different responsibilities or, or traits that they're displaying at a particular time. Whether it's whether I call my dad tails, you lose. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but whether I call my dad father, whether I call him Greg, whether I you know, call him Miss Rob, or and even think of where uh, in the context of the word I've Yudhe Vavhe. Um, that's that's very commonly centralized with the the nation of Israel. And you have previously, while you have the patriarchs, El Shaddai is more common. Mm. Elohim is yeah. more is more the, the name that's used. Yeah. So perhaps it's, and, and later on, we'll, we'll have another expression, a name for God, just, you know, the, the name of Messiah Yeshua. So it's God's displaying himself in different different titles, different attributes, expressions even, and um, what that are generally used for a particular purpose. Okay, good. I think that was excellent. Joseph, can I add something interesting too? Yes. Um, there have been Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered back in 1947, and what's so interesting is that the scrolls were written in the modern Hebrew script except for the Tetragrammaton. They used what they call the Proto-Hebrew, like the, the Canaanite type script. 
So they regarded it then as being very holy. And even in some Christian Bibles, they used that petrogrammaton, which mm-hmm. is so interesting mm-hmm. initially. And then it changed over time. Yeah. Well, we Gentiles do tend to change over time, unfortunately. That's good. That's good. Yes, Marianne. Is he saying a certain trait of his known to them? I, I think I think a better way of instead of saying that he didn't make a trait known is that he was making or emphasizing other traits or characteristics of himself known, overshadowing perhaps some others. Um, we see this, uh, of course, uh, when there's uh, some type of uh, dynamic critical incident involving self-defense where you've got uh, perhaps a gentleman who will pull a handgun in order to take out an intruder or a threat right and that is a demonstration of amazing power and at the same time this may be a father who is who is shielding his, his wife or his children so depending on which side of the fence you're on depends on which expression is being expressed? That that reminds me. Think of the prophet Hosea. It says, "No longer will they call me, uh, was it um, Baali. A- Adoni or yeah, Baali, Baali my, my master, Adon Baal, basically the same right, Lord. Yeah. But they'll call me right. Ishi, right? right? My my husband, my man. Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, God's even saying that no longer are these titles or these these these. Uh, uh, Perspectives that people are going to view me as yeah. those are going to be different. Well, yeah. the, you know, titles and, and that the, with the uh, understanding becomes more intimate. Exactly right. Good, mm-hmm. good. And this has happened with my sons-in-law. Hang on, son. Mm-hmm. Hang on, one second. My sons-in-law, uh, you know, got introduced to me as Mr. Squitcherini and perhaps Mr. S. And uh, some of them have, have called me Joseph or Joe or whatever it may be. And and now. Um, it's, it's an endearing opportunity that most of them, uh, on a regular opportunity, call me dad. Whereas there's only been one guy for the past 20 years who's called me that. Oh, speaking of which, yes, son. 20? <laughs> <laughs> 20. Um, no, I was just thinking on a more uh, literal... Because when I read that part, I was thinking that isn't El Shaddai associated with um, like fertility? Stuff. Most of the time, and so it makes a lot of sense because he, so Abraham, Isaac, and yeah. Jacob all had some issues there. Yeah, and so that's he did reveal himself as a God who can give children to them. Yeah, and now he's revealing himself as a, 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 another trait of him. So it's like mercy, compassion. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. I like it. I like it. All right, so we move on. What about these necromancers? And what what exactly does necromancer mean? Well, necro, dead. Necro, dead. Mancer, romancing the dead. Yes. Yikes. This is this is not our faith. Amen. Pretty disturbing. Okay. So what I what I don't get. You come to me and say, "Wow, they've made he's made frogs. Can you make frogs?" I would say. Don't I can do better than that 
I can make frogs go away. That's right. <laughs> Don't make frogs. Why would you want to make more frogs if frogs are the problem? Hey, I don't get it. You know, if you're the pharaoh, wouldn't you be going, so you made more frogs? <laughs> Just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. All right. So, yes. I, I, was, I used to think that. Too, and but I, I, this year it really stuck out to me that the whole purpose is to prove Moses and Aaron are just like them. So it was right, it was right. really you can do that. I can do that. Of them, yeah. I, I think that that was more of okay. A, yeah. Okay. But it's also but, it, but it does seem stupid, right? I mean, I just want. I, mean, I, I, I thought it was stupid. Yeah. That's right. But I think though that I think that people oftentimes well I don't know this group but others have given these guys a um, a poor. Uh, view on the way that they handle this because I think that they really did do it. This is not tricks. These are not smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. And so like when they come back and they say light the lights is the finger of God, it's because our magic's not that good. Like we could do the frogs, we could do the blood, but not that. Well, isn't it amazing that they, they, they did seem to take a very technical view of it. And when they throw up their hands, you would expect everyone would recognize Oh my goodness, this is the real deal. They just can hang. But Pharaoh, <laughs> but Pharaoh doesn't take that take. See, I, I think that almost makes it sound like it is smoke and mirrors because there's like a stopping point. There's like a, I don't know that one. So that one this, this can't, because it just wouldn't make sense that they would stop there well, if no, they I, could do it. Well, that's my point though. Is that it, I feel like it's, it's more of an instance because like smoke and mirrors, it's like turn dust into lice. And there's a puff of dust, and look, we have lice now. Like, I mean, I feel like smoke and mirrors is so much easier to manufacture that somehow. Give me a, give me a couple extra days. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out how to do that one. Whereas they come back, like, right away, and they're like, we can't do this. And that, to me, indicates that it was legitimate, that it was really, like, black magic that they were using. Because otherwise, I feel like they would have found a trick, some, some way to do it. Like, they, they couldn't. You're implying that there's power in this world that is outside of God that is not... It may be permissible by God, but it is not yes. God. Is that correct? Yes. There's a power. There's power that is definitely um, not what God would want us to use. Agreed. I'm just trying to make sure that everybody in the room hears that there is power, and that it's not, and it's not what we should use. Right. But we see it every day. We we exercise it. God forbid. We exercise it every day. Anytime we act in a willful way, in a rebellion towards God, it is witchcraft. Mm -hmm. It's an, it is a great power. Don't you hate when he really brings it down like that? <laughs> Let's move on. You know. oh, but it's true. But it's true. If we rebel, it is witchcraft. But the fact that there is witchcraft, that there is power, and that the prince of the power of the air is not... Our Messiah at this time should last, be noted. I think it was last year we mentioned a teaching from the Midrash that talks about Egypt being basically the black magic capital of the world right, at this right, time. Right. So this, so this is it's almost like in those old kung fu movies where you have these guys coming out from the hills of of, uh, of China and they go yeah. to this village and they 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 can take out every other master and then you know they they've just captured those that's guys are, are 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 the new thing and then until the next guy comes and beats their masters. Right. And here's a, that's basically Egypt. It's a it's a a, sh a, a showdown town. 
for for the, the who's who of black magic. There it is. And that's why when 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 uh, Moshe and Aharon do, do the, the first signs, it's like that's nothing. That's yeah, come on, come on. Come on I mean, well, what's the phrase in the Midrash? Um, like, d- d- does the was it? Do you bring herbs to Herb Town? That's right. the, <laughs> 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 that's good. That's good. All right, ballerina. Yes, behind me. Yes, sir. Rav. One other, one other interesting thing um, that's hinted at in the in the actual word for the rod, for the staff, which. Uh, Marianne, can you hear him over there? I, I can barely hear him here. Is that? Yeah, it's a little tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, give me a little bit. <laughs> so the Hebrew word for the. And he, and he talks at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Come on. Is it a So the Hebrew word for rod. Spelling of the word hints that the serpent is inside the staff, oh. and that's kind of that's cool. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Um, I actually went my life thinking or being taught that none of that magic stuff—that it's all just smoke and mirrors and just tricks. Um, I think that's actually a giant lie of the enemies. He wants you to believe that it's not possible because if you can get people, not people to believe that there is no other power. Um, Aside from us. Right. Well, if you can get them to believe that it's all just a bunch of bunk, basically, then when they actually see a, something, a real powerful thing that, that the enemy does, they're going to be like, what the heck, I thought this didn't exist. And it's, I think it's going to be play a role in the great deception. Sure. I think she's right. And how many of you have read about the whole debunk of the whole deal with the upstream crack that caused the red clay to come down, poison the water, the fish all die, it begins to stink, the frogs can't stand up. You know what I'm talking about? And we just, you know, explain it all away. That's right. It's actually the safest to go on that very point on this one, and that's why they go, they make a point of highlighting that Aaron turns all the water in Egypt to blood. And they're like, so we're not really sure exactly, you know, how you're going to get the, the water it's in like the jars in the guy's house exactly turned to blood. exactly how did that happen and hello have the water that's right underground next to the Nile it's okay. not be not blood. not be blood so what's up with that yeah so it appears to be and, miraculous and someone used I think Taylor said the battle of the gods here yes. and I think that that's one of the things that gets really highlighted um, when I spoke with the Jewish man about the Pesach it was really interesting how he he noted this is the first time in the Bible that God specifically like really does dramatic miraculous signs as it were like open miracles for people like up until this point like he would do a miracle like Abraham or I Sarah have a child that's, that's, that's a miracle. Make the planet yeah. right but this is like he's affecting nature <laughs> it's, a different, it's like a different level yeah. um, and he takes on of course we, a lot of us probably have heard that you know, he takes on individual gods along the way yeah. I think it's particularly cool like one of the ones with the boils you know the, the necromancers it's like it's specifically on them they're like, oh, no, this is just embarrassing. I don't even know what to do anymore. <laughs> and they can't stand before me. Yeah, nasty stuff. For, uh, for Passover, the four cops, or the four I wills, are represented right here on this page. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, are in fact what your Haggadah, or telling the story, is all about. It's these 
Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am Adonai, and I shall take you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I shall rescue you from their service. I shall redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I shall take you to me for a people, and I shall be a God to you, and you shall know that I am Adonai, your God, who takes you out from under the burdens of Egypt. And all God's people said, Amen. And what a beautiful picture of what Messiah Yeshua does for us. So we're going to walk through the uh, timeline real quick, specifically for Marianne, so that you know where this is in the Bible. The Bible recounts the story of God. We believe that since this is the year 5774, almost 6,000 years, that we need to find 6,000 years worth of history, and we're using the walls to do that with 1,000 years per wall. So we have Adam here at creation, and 1,000 years later we have Noah. 1,000 years later we have Abraham, which is right after the flood. 1,000 years later we have King David. 1,000 years later we have the second Adam, or last Adam, and that's Yeshua, the Messiah. 1,000 years later we have Rashi, uh, the man who, uh, the rabbi who gave us the line-by-line commentary on the Torah for the first time, and then line-by-line commentary on the Tanakh. And then a thousand years later, that's 6,000 years-ish, we have, well, Taylor is right there. So so we we start with Adam. In the middle, we've got Enoch. Then we've got Noah. And then we've got the flood. And then we've got Abraham. And we have Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes. We go down to Israel because there's no food, there's a famine. We've got the seven years, the seven years is bad. Oh my goodness, then another Pharaoh rises up that does not know uh, Joseph. And then we've got this terrible bondage, and now we get up to now. At the doorway is when they're in the desert, in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. Then we have the books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And then we open up in the corner with King David and Shlomo and uh, Saul and all of that. (laughs) with uh, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. And then we have all the prophets in your Bible are in this 500-year period right here, first half of this one. Five on. All the prophets are right there. We have the exodus to Babylon, the coming back. Not everybody does come back. And then eventually we end up with the Messiah Yeshua. And by here we've got the Talmud written, and the Roman Catholic Church has changed our faith into something unrecognizable to Judaism. And we'll take it from there. Okay, so we are right before that midpoint. The only thing that stands out to me this week, this year, reading this passage, is God's immense confidence in some of his statements here. And I think it's really cool. Um, you, I know, you find it odd that God is confident? Well, no, but <laughs> I, I, what I think is cool is the fact that he emphasizes the confidence in the way that he chooses to do so. In chapter 6, God specifically uses the future tense... Um, in making his I wills or his I shalls mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. translation, mm-hmm. translation. Mm-hmm. and that, that is very we, we, re- we appropriately recognize it's a promise in, in Judaism they would say that to use the phrase I will is essentially making a promise, making a vow I'm going to do something well let's, let's use a little romance as, a, as a, just a parenthetical statement um, when you think of I will or I will not Ramez to the master what do you think of Gregory? <coughs> Same period of time. It's Passover. And the master says, I will not. I will not what? Oh, I will not drink of the cup until you see me again. And we drink it together. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we see this as, you know, like taking a vow. It's it's a big time promise. Right. And I think that's what's cool here is God kind of he, he doesn't say now the plan is that this, this, this is gonna happen. He very specifically makes a promise. 
And um, and then later, another really I thought was also really cool when when Moses in, in chapter seven, he's all like, I can't even do this. The people won't listen to me. How is Pharaoh going to listen to me? God does the same thing to him there in uh, in chapter seven, verse two. He says, "You shall." And again, it's in future tense. It's essentially, like you will do this. I think that was really neat because he again he expresses confidence, but not only in himself. It's one thing for God to make a promise about himself, but in this case, he's effectively making a promise or um, a guarantee to Moses. You will do this, and I will do this too. And it's really neat. And I think that as as hu- as husbands and as Zadikim, as righteous ones, um, with making sure we're keeping our promises and that we can fulfill them, I think that that level of confidence is healthy. To tell someone that we want to encourage you something, you can, you will do this. I will help you. You can do this. You will do this. Or I will do this. I will be here. I will come. Don't you rest your reputation on the fact that when you tell someone you will, they can take it to the bank. I would hope that would always be the case. I would hope it would be the case as well. There are more than four I wills. Yes. You want to go now or you want to wait? Mm-hmm. Well, no, I think it's remarkable that there are more than four I wills. Our, our commemoration of this event is done with four cups. And yet, we have more than four cups on Pesach. And, and, and the, the allusion that Gregory made to uh, Messiah is saying, I will not drink of this cup, yes. is brought into that as well. So the, the, the cups are, we recognize our, our, you know, looking into the past and recognizing what's been done, but there also, there are parts of our Seder that are looking to the future. Amen. And in the same way, this passage speaks of the past and of the future, because some of these things have not yet been done. God has said he will, and he hasn't yet. That's right. Exactly. Great. Um, I have a comment on frogs. Cup to frogs. <laughs> so this is this is now the beginning of chapter eight. Um, what's interesting is there's a, another little nuance in the Hebrew because um, you know chapter eight verse one God tells Moses go to Pharaoh you know so he goes and he tells him look if you don't let my people go I'll smite the whole territory with frogs. So far, so, so, so far that Damon is the Hebrew word. And then, uh, so verse 2 is plural. Verse 3, the Nile will swarm with frogs, plural. Okay. Um, verse 4, so the frogs, plural, will come up. And then verse 5, uh, so the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand. He does. Okay. And then verse 6, it says, so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt. And all of a sudden, it says, the English translates it plural. But the Hebrew, it says, and the frog yeah. came up and covered the land. The, the, sages, the sages go off on this. Yeah. So, <laughs> so well, what's interesting is, um, so, there's a, so there's a midrash, right, that talks, that one of the Chazal talked about, that there was actually one great frog that came up out of the Nile. And the, the great frog, like, like, um, Spewed out all these baby frogs that then covered the land. It's a movie in this. Well, now that's yeah. interesting. It's like, it's like when you stamp on a pregnant spider and you've got all kinds of little spiders. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but that's interesting now that we're reading Revelation 16, which we read. Yes. Because in Revelation 16, where we are paralleling the, the bold judgments of Revelation, by the way, are almost a one for one parallel 
to the judgments that we're reading here in, in Exodus. <coughs> because Revelation is describing the final Exodus, right? But it's interesting, um, it says here, this, uh, this is chapter 16, verse 12, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Okay, so, you know, we got a river, Nile, river, river, river and its water dried up so that the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. So here you have one um, entity. One entity. In this case, it's described as a dragon. Okay, reptile. <laughs> uh, and out of the mouth of the dragon is these unclean spirits that then cut that then spread out over the earth. Right. It's the same imagery that you have in the Hebrew with chapter 8, verse 6, that says one frog came up, but yet the whole land was covered. Um, so it's really cool, the parallel there. Yeah. It's really cool. I love it. I love it. All right. It's interesting because the sages, some of the sages say that the frogs were crocodiles. Yeah. yeah which is even more similar to a dragon. Particularly when you think of the dragon imagery throughout the Tanakh is not the you know, flying, fire-breathing creature necessarily, but it's a sea creature. So, how many of you would like to be used by God? Oh, 100%? 100%. I'm going to call it 100%, except for Michael, who's sleeping. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm just wondering... So, if, if God actually calls you aside and says, okay, this is what I want you to do. Would you actually look him in the face-ish and say, hey, I'm really no good at talking. You need to get somebody else. Okay. Well, in his defense, can you imagine the, the pressure and the stress? That, imagine God himself came to you and said, I want you to do something. My knee-jerk reaction would be, I don't really know what it is, but I really doubt I'm good enough. <laughs> so, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think I would have the same reaction, but I would, I would submit to you today that that is a lack of faith, and it says that you don't know God. Because if you really trusted God, that He is God, and the one who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-fill-in-the-blank comes to you and says, I want you to do this. Do you really think it's wise to go, well, I'm not really sure that's a good idea. I mean, let's talk about the plan. Is that really what you want to do? The sages often give a lot of grace to the patriarchs. You bet. And do a lot of word acrobats to make their questionable actions not questionable. At least Palin. Mm -hmm. They don't do that with Moses, no. unfortunately. They they actually, the, the ones that I read, they're pretty hard on him. Big thing. Uh, and they say this is actually the reason he can't go into the promised land, is his lack of willingness to cooperate time and time again. And I appreciate the honesty, but I also appreciate the fact that Moses, despite his resistance, lack of faith, was still used by God. And a tongue-tied individual not unlike yourself. <laughs> so, on the, on the one hand, it's the, the honesty is refreshing, but... and See, the, he started at Mrs. Words as soon as I said that. <laughs> but on the, on the other hand, 
it should give us great pause to not follow his example. Yeah. Do you not find it surprising that these dings that we see written about Moshe Rabbeinu Moses, our teacher, is actually written down by Moshe Rabbeinu. He wrote this himself. Hence, hence his description as being the most humble man. Which he wrote as well. Which he also wrote. Which, which, which just teaches us verbal, verbal plenary inspiration. He has a lot to be humble. He does. Yes, ma'am. Can you hear Marianne, Greg? I can barely know what she's speaking. I think this might be similar, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but I do believe I have essentially said to the Lord that I don't want to go to Nineveh. Oh. So it's similar, right? Mm. I mean, he's basically being mm. questioning God's, I don't know, questioning what I, God is telling. I would argue just on, on, on point value that I think Yonah didn't want to go to Nineveh not because he didn't want to go he didn't want to be used I think it was because it was Nineveh and that's I think a different issue but to your point haven't we all said I, he, I know I know you I know I want you to use me but maybe but you could use somebody else for that one yeah okay but isn't it ironic that here where, where Moshe is trying to shift he's like no God I don't want to be used go find Aaron and all of a sudden, you know, fast forward to the mountain, where God's saying, I'm going to use you, Moshe. He's like, no, God, yeah. use your people that you've already said you will use. Yeah. You, the humility that time is even uh, is exponentially focused upon God's promises. Yeah, it is. That's good. That's it's good. like the old weird joke thing where it says, I do want to serve the Lord, but only in an advisory capacity. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I would have expected you to come up with something like that. That's good. You should write that one down. <laughs> She got you. <laughs> yes, ma'am. In our culture, we don't maybe always hear an audible voice, I think. So you could also respond, I'm not sure I heard you right. I, I'm not, I don't think I understood. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's probably where I would go. Um, that doesn't feel right. Yeah, I mean, do you really want to stand in front of somebody later on and go, so God told you to do this? And and you're supposed to throw the stick on the ground. <laughs> I get it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think even like just within our own faith, there are those um, moments where it's like, well, I'm supposed to wear tzitzit, but I don't have to wear it in front of other people. Like I'll pray at home and right. throw my tallit. Sure. It's all. Yeah. Um, and I think that those types of things are other examples. Sure. When I go to the pistol race, is it really safe to have those easy out? Yeah. <laughs> I probably tuck them that shit. Oh, yeah. I guess something's stuck. Lori. What's actually ironic is the really first, you know, appeals to God and says, I can't do it. I'm not a man of words. Yeah. So I just, fine. Both, you know, Aaron will go with you. He will speak for you. He'll be God to him. But what's ironic is the way it actually plays out, if you look at chapter 8, I mean, and then I said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand. So Aaron's doing the business. Then turned a couple verses. Moses said to Pharaoh. So Moses is the one speaking, and Aaron's the one doing the works. And that's kind of cool, because that's kind of how God designed it from the beginning. But it seemed like it kind of gave Moses a vibe, because he would have to speak, the Lord yeah. would speak. Yeah. So he, he kind of gave a little rope and let him step up. I yeah. like that. Um, <laughs> can somebody articulate the pattern we see? Um, 
based on the verse that you just quoted about you being God to Aaron, um, can someone articulate a parallel that they might see between Moses and Aaron and God the Father and Yeshua the Messiah? I had my head before that. All right, well, hang on. <laughs> so I, I saw your hand before, so you can put it down and see if anybody can say this, and then we'll go to you. What was the, what was the question? So can you articulate the parallel between Moses, Aaron, the Father, Yeshua? Did you just make this parallel? No, no God made it up. <laughs> yes, Janet. Yeshua says, I don't speak anything but what the Father tells me exactly. to speak. Exactly. And so Aaron would not have been speaking on his own. He would have been speaking what Moses told him, so, or what God told Moses. So okay. Direct line. What about the actions? Who's doing the work? Who's doing the actual physical work? Aaron or Moses? Aaron, right? It and appears. I mean, sometimes it's hard to tell. Exactly. And wouldn't you say that that even encourages this parallel? Who did the work of salvation? God. But who actually did it? Yeshua. Well, it's hard to tell who's... Although they are one. Oh, that they are one. But Moses and Aaron are one. Good. Okay, so... So there's a big difference right there. So it's a a parallel, but it's not perfect. Okay. So, gee whiz, it's a tough crowd. I'll tell you, it's a tough crowd. Breakfast is a parallel. All right. Yes. So, um... Hey, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Your son actually had the floor before. <laughs> Go ahead, Judith. Um, I was thinking how Peter, when he walked onto the water, yes, he, he had um, no faith, so he went, it just kind of sank. And it could almost be like Moses. He didn't have faith that God would actually come through with it. Good. So Good. He, he right. But he ended up... He ended up being on the water, you know, although he was wet, and evidently Yeshua was not. Good. All right, Janet. I was just thinking of different individuals throughout Scripture and, and their responses to God calling them, and I thought specifically of Jeremiah, because the first thing Jeremiah says, but I cannot speak for him in mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And I think that's the tendency of most of whom we see. Well, that's where Caleb's coming from. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so many in Scripture, when, I mean, if I'm looking at a burning bush, that's going to be pretty dramatic, yeah. but... You know, they, they often come back with, but, right. because I think we do tend to hesitate. Sure. In because fact, we take on the responsibility, which is good, but... But it's we, still God's. But we don't always understand that God has given us whatever we need, and, and that's what he went on to take Jeremiah, that he said, do not say I'm a youth, for I shall go with you. Exactly. And I think that's where we need to come back. Good. Excellent. Yes. I, I think part of this may be the difference between our culture and the, and the culture of the people in the Bible. Our okay. culture... Um, does not does not see the benefit in the being in being used. Whereas the culture that's being described here, uh, imagine it's like it's like being called up to the Torah. It's a great blessing to be, to be called up to sure. read the Torah, and but yet I've heard men say, you know, privately ahead of time, don't call me, call so and so instead. Right. Why would they do that? It's a great honor. Well, it's because I'm unworthy. Maybe this person is is as worthy. So I like I like to think that Moses maybe actually is being extremely humble in his response to God here, Absolutely. saying, "I'm unworthy to actually be receive this great blessing sure. from you to participate in this thing." Sure. Don't you get that sense when you read the passage about Eleazar and Abraham? Yeah. It's like here, here I mean, he's already mentioned 
Elazar to to God. He said, "You know, this this is the guy. I mean, he's he's the only right. one in my household, and he sends him to get." What in, a, in the same, in the same way, Jeremiah, as, as Janet brought up, Jan, Jeremiah's response. I don't think most people don't say Jeremiah's lacking faith there. They would simply say Jeremiah's just being very humble, saying, "I'm really not worthy to be the one called to do this." Exactly, and Isaiah too. Right? Yeah, yeah, man, unclean. That's exactly. right. And I live among, among a people of uncleanness. Well, who's the only guy you can think of who actually was ready to go? Hereby, send me, point me towards danger. Who's the only guy? Isaiah. I'm sorry? Isaiah. Isaiah? Isaiah? No, no, no. So maybe there's several. <laughs> I'm thinking Samuel. I, I didn't hear anybody say Samuel. Samuel. Okay, the li- my daughters. Okay. All right. Let's. Right, right. And of course, Eli is, you know. All right. Do you believe that these miracles that have happened here were intended to strengthen the faith of the Israeli people, strengthen the disbelief of the Egyptian people, or provide UPS deliveries. Uh, no. <laughs> um, would you uh, just see if it's Elijah? If it's not, just close the door. Um, it actually happened on Passover once. It was amazing. It could be Peter. It could be Peter at the door. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I sent a woman to answer too. So yeah. We won't believe. Okay. So so I'm looking for. Do you believe that these miracles would actually cause the 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 people of God to be strengthened in their faith? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Okay. But, but to take another step, I think these miracles were also designed to strengthen the average Egyptians in their understanding of God because God specifically says that they would know that he was the Lord. And later when we see the, the hail plague, which is coming at the end of this portion, yes. that's almost like one of the deals. Like God says, I will put my plagues against your heart. And it's very intriguing that it later uses the same, like the same word, at least in the English, says um, that the heart of the people who feared Adonai obeyed and put their servants inside. That's right. So we see God. It doesn't say just the Jewish people. Right. So we see that God is specifically doing these plagues to not only chastise the Egyptians, but also if there's any of them that are even remotely sensitive, he is calling them out too. And at least according to my view of it, some of them leave with Israel later. There was a mixed multitude. No question. So you're seeing multiple reasons and effects on these, yes? We see that it should have strengthened the people. What was Moses's the response given to Moses when he first said, Ha! God's calling you out. It's cool. I'm here. I'm going to be in charge at the front of the pack, sort of. So just kind of follow me. What was their response? Oh, we're having trouble with that. Yeah. So by the 10th one, we should expect, I see you, I see you, that we should be doing better. The Egyptians, why did they give them all the gold? Why did they, why did they plunder? How did that happen? They're like, go, God be with you, take the, take the God that you got with you, and go. And to your point, obviously, some of them didn't just give up their stuff. They actually said, 
I'm with them. I'm leaving with them. They joined themselves to God's people. Yeah? So a lot of different things are happening here. What was God's stated intent? Multiply his wonders. It was the one we didn't even mention yet. To glorify himself throughout all the earth. You? Then you. Yes, sir. I would say one of the reasons for the, the ten plagues, and I obviously spoke this earlier with my title of God versus God, the war of the gods, or however I said it. Battle of the gods. I think, I think we've got it on the video, we've got it on the tape. It's okay. So, because in Numbers 33, it says that on the gods, Hashem executed judgment. And a little bit later on, on all of the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, I am Adonai. So, we see, and scholars have noted this for so long, that each of the plagues was indicted against an Egyptian god. And God does this all the time. He did this on Carmel with Elijah, where there was the, well, if Baal is God, then serve him. We'll see if he can light this thing on fire. And they do all sorts of crazy things to try to get those attention. And, if and, the, and the prophet God, wasn't quiet. He was not. It's actually kind of common. Kind of kind of but that's in the... Uh, but the people, when the, <laughs> when the ultimatum was put forth to them, well, if Baal, then Baal, or Adonai, then Adonai, but the people were silent. And so God could, if he can harden Pharaoh's heart, you'd think he'd just be able to turn everyone's mind, show up in a really amazing way, but God chooses to level his indictments against our so-called gods. For example... Egypt, or, uh, the Nile was a god called Hapi to the Egyptians, and it was supposed to be the god of fertility. All of a sudden, it turns out that it's causing death, killing all the lives, uh, killing all the fish in the surrounding plant area. And then you've got and, and later opened the then you've got the frogs, who is also a fertility god, causing god more death as well, and. Uh, so on, down the line it goes, until you finally get to, well, what is the ultimate God versus God? It's God versus Pharaoh, because when Moses first shows up, he goes to Pharaoh and he says, Thus says Adonai, let my people go. And then, in response, Pharaoh sends out his taskmasters and says, Thus says Pharaoh, I'm going to increase your workload. So, nothing has changed from that day to today. There's always idolatry in our midst, and there's always God calling us out to stop with our idolatry and to recognize Him. And it's here, it's in Kings, it's in Psalms, it's in Yeshua's time. That's God's nature is to call out our little gods. Amen. And make Himself top shelf. Yes. So. The, the magicians are able to replicate the first two or three miracles, and then when when uh, when Moses and Aaron take the dust and turn it into gnats or lice, depending on the translation, the magicians try to do that, and they can't, and they make a statement in chapter 8, verse 15, and the magicians said to, to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Do you think it was a thumb? And uh, that statement... Is only that that phrase "finger of God" is only used one other time in Tanakh, and that's in reference to the the tablets, right, that were written by the finger of God. However, when you get to the uh, when you get over to the apostolic uh, scriptures, we have a uh, we have an account recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter eleven, 
verse 14, and he was casting out, he being Yeshua, was casting out the demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. And some of them said, we cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Right, so there, so some of the people who saw this happen are saying, well, he, he is doing that by a black art, by you know, some demonic power. Um, others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Uh, uh, but he knew their thoughts and he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. Um, if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, so then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So it's interesting that Yeshua uses this phrase, the finger of God, which is a very unique phrase in the Tanakh, which is you know the only scriptures they would have been familiar with at that time. Well, they were the only scriptures at that time. Exactly. So, um, so he, it's almost like Yeshua is playing off of these signs and wonders yeah. that God did yeah. in Egypt, where it was the finger of God who basically um, kind of stood up the magic art and and he's saying look this I'm doing this by the finger of God yeah, this ain't magic can't, can't wink wink yeah. so therefore you better take notice so, the so this would here. this would be the ultimate remez done by the master right Greg uh, in, in, in talking about like proving God over the other gods I thought it was so cool that you know, the leader of the gods and the people was Pharaoh. And to kick everything off, God says to Moses, "See, I have made you master over Pharaoh," and that kind of kicks off his whole journey into that, in which it's kind of a parallel to, just as you're going to be master over Pharaoh, I'm going to prove myself as master over their gods. Mm -hmm. Good, good. I like it. So. Back to just pass the finger. Um, they can't, these necromancers, magicians can't come out because of, because of the state of their flesh. It's uncomfortable. It's nasty. So, where do you read about this kind of stuff again in the scripture? Job. Yeah. So Job is, is sitting there in the dust and he's got boils and they're pussy and oozing and he takes a piece of pottery and he's, he's scraping them and it sounds amazingly unpleasant. <laughs> sounds like it. It does sound amazingly unpleasant. So how did Job get the boils? Let Satan give them to him. That's interesting. God let Satan give them to him. So do you think Satan caused the boy? Or do you think I caused the boy? I'm just curious. I caused. 
<laughs> you think Satan gave him the boils? I'm surprised. In a proximate sense? Do you think Satan caused the boils? Is it yes or no? Do you think Satan caused the boils? No. 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 I mean, Satan didn't give him the boils? No. Do you think Satan gave him the boils? Yes. Yes. So do I. You think Satan gave him the boils? Do you think Satan gave him the boils? What do you think? I looked it up. Oh, oh. Ask him, what does the book say? It says, um, he said, you consider my servant Job. And he said, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Mm. Yes, all that this man has, he will give you for his life. But stretch out your hand, touch his bone and your flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, behold, he is your hands. So, I'm confused. So it says he struck him with... He um, being Satan. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils. So, so, I'm, I'm confused. I thought I heard earlier here that these magician guys couldn't do this. Now, I thought we already said the magicians got this black art thing going, right? This is this is the black magic thing. This is this is the the deep magic from time before, and you know all that Narnia whatnot. You know, and, the broken, and the broken table, and very, you know, very powerful magic. Yeah, right. So, I th I thought that that was insufficient. I thought that was not enough to do the boils, because that's when they realized it was the finger of God. But but here, Satan does have the ability to do that. So I'm confused. Help me connect the dots. What am Melanie I missing? Melanie said exactly what it was. What did Melanie say? I know God allowed it. I, that's good. That's good. That's not the that's not the answer I'm looking for. Well, I, 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 I have an analogy. You, then your dad. No. My analogy would be, uh, I think, as a as a man who supports the Second Amendment very strongly, I'm sure you have probably either heard or or most likely used the phrase. Guns don't kill people. People, people kill, kill people. people. I have. But at the same time, people use guns sometimes to kill people. And it's I think true. in this particular instance, um, Hasatan is in a sense sort of like the gun, as it were. He, does he not have a level of power? Yes. But that power is entirely within the sovereignty of God. Absolutely. So Back in, to the case of the, in the case yeah. of, the, of the prophets, or the, the, the necromancers, yes. God said, no, no. You're not allowed to do this one this time. Okay. So I think I think that the Satan had this ability because God allows him to use it, sure. But he doesn't let him do it here because really that's one thing. When we say God is a had, that means that all of the universe ultimately falls beneath His authority. Oh, Nothing right. works without Him. And so the idea that somehow well Satan is the dark side and God is the light side and it's this battle that's that's not that's true. That's God is playing chess with Himself. He just sometimes lets other people move the pieces. I like the last analogy. It's good. On, on the, I completely agree with that. But on the other hand, we are subject, especially in the modern age, to a myth. And that is the myth of the Newtonian law of cause and effect. Right. And because of that, we want to play this game. And everybody has at times maybe even gone as far as to say, well, Satan is a created being, and therefore is not God at at risk of being blamed for all of the mess. And the and the answer is Josh as Joshua pointed out, the cause and effect is a myth. Uh, it, it is true at the at the at the visible level that there is cause and effect. 
we all have experienced that. You bet. But as anyone knows that, that examines at the molecular level, cause and effect doesn't work anymore. So in other words, cause and effect is a, is a manifestation of something that we think we understand, and yet it is not a full explanation of what's at work. And for the answer to this, we will have to wait because we do not know how it works, and it's not cause and effect. What do we know from the Exodus story about the boils? Well, Joseph, it says that the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. Yes. Well, I'm thinking... What do we know about where the boils came from? From the scripture, from this story. What do we know? From the They came... From the soot, as a result of Moses' obedience, which then became there was. Who caused the boils? God. God told him what to do. He did it, and then it happened. Okay. In honor of the current topic, I'm playing devil's advocate. So, from the scripture, we know that God caused these boils, and we also know these guys could not. That's all we know. But could they have if they weren't afflicted with them? Because this almost seems like... I don't think they could have, because oh. it says before that they tried. What if they tried, and under normal circumstances they would be able to, but for some reason they couldn't this time, and they're saying, this is the hand of God, we are not even able to do that. Yeah, and you know, I go back to my opening statement. If everybody's afflicted with boils, who needs more boils? <laughs> That's the new one. That's the new one. Right? New we don't boil. need any more boils. Get rid of the boils. <laughs> Which kind of leads me to my next thought was we see God divide out Goshen as protected and safe after they came that was, through the lights. That's my next point. And so the magicians have been able to recreate and yet they or, haven't or been able duplicate. to duplicate. They have not been able to save themselves. And God can set his people apart and save them. But the fact that they're covered with the boils shows that not only can they not recreate them, but they cannot stop them. So I think loser and double loser. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it reminds me of the, um, the kind of the joke, the story where um, man comes to God and says, we've done it, we can now make man. And, God, and they say, God, we're going to challenge you to a contest. We can make man. So God and man show up together to, to duke it out. And man reaches down and picks up dirt, just like God did. And God goes, uh, get your own dirt. The point being that man is very capable of repeating or duplicating a lot of things that God can do. But man can't do it himself. And I think in some respects that's kind of almost like the, 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 the necromancers, at least the first couple of plagues. Yeah. They can duplicate, in a sense, what God does. But they don't have the actual power to do it. Right, otherwise they could have undone it. Hmm. Well, but I think it's more miraculous for them to do the creation instead of the taking away. Like that—that's more impressive. That's harder to do. Is the creation part? Like that's where God comes in, actually creating something from nothing. But to take things away—that's a little easier, I would say. Yeah. Than I would argue that fire, pulse. I would argue that. Really? Oh, sure. Yeah. Let's do it this way. Let me pour wine on your shirt, and let's see what's easier, pouring the wine on the shirt or getting the wine out of the shirt. Uh, straw man, <laughs> straw man. That's different? <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's you didn't, a pretty well-known fact that, that recreating something or fixing something that was destroyed is easily ten times 
harder than it is to do the actual destroying. Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. <laughs> Who created Humpty Dumpty? Building the house. I didn't say I was. I'm just saying, you know, can you put it back together again? I got frogs. Undo frogs. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for the undelete button here. They don't have one. Yes, sir. Uh, well, the sages remark, and the reason why is that the lice are different is because of their size. Because okay? of their size? Their size. And it, and it does go back to ex, ex nihilo, the idea that something from nothing. Yeah. And they said that the lice had to have been created something from nothing, whereas everything else was coming from something else. And so the difficulty is not making something different. The difficulty is making something that doesn't exist. Is making something, period. That's right. And so they rec they remarked that this is the finger of God because it was something from nothing. They, they were probably alchemists. They were. And just, you know, messing with the, the equal exchange thing. You can't. You can't do something from nothing. What cause and effect? The same th same thing that I was arguing before. They're they're operating at the physical level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Long before Newton, they already had a basic understanding of physics. Yeah. And they're saying this is beyond physics. This is something from nothing. That's impossible. Ex nihilo can be done. That's right. Only can't God can do it. Every scientist tell you there's no way that you can make it from nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good. Okay. What, and what's the response? Finger of God. Yep. Okay. And I think that. Sorry. Hey. Your brother's first. Yes, dude. It's kind of funny what you, what you just said about Humpty Dumpty. Yes. It's, it's almost like that. You know, Pharaoh can't figure out, oh my goodness, how's he doing this? Oh, somebody come and help fix the problem. And nobody can fix You know, it was surprising to me, though, Judah. I don't see Pharaoh doing that. I don't see Pharaoh saying, guys, guys, where are you? Got a lot of frogs? Can you, can you? Let's undo frogs. Well, he, we, he, he never he says, wasn't. can you undo it? No, My guys can do that too, like, seems to be his response. He, exactly. He wasn't assuming defeat. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Stand by. Your brother-in-law is first. Too slow. I was stupid. That's right. Um, there was a, uh, in, in one of the books you're reading, I think it was The Six Constants Code, it begins to compare um, magic, in a sense, yeah. to science, which is a very interesting comparison, because essentially it's the same concept at work, just different ways of doing it. Um, magic uses spiritual forces to affect the world. Right. Science uses physical laws to affect the world. Right. But essentially they're both humans manipulating the physical world in some way. And um, <coughs> science, of course, doesn't generally, with some exceptions, violate explicit commands of God, although there are times when it does. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but magic, of course, almost always well, always does, because God says specifically, don't do this. Don't do this, yeah. But it's still intriguing, because, again, it, I feel like um, it, it demonstrates this power that humans have over reality, and yet, at the same time, we have limitations as well. And I think the mistake is oftentimes, like in the past here, they obviously worshipped their abilities in magic. Right. You know, they're pretty impressed themselves. Right. And I think that that's very much, so to say, very much the same thing today. I think a lot of humans have a, a modern form of idolatry where we look to the universe that we have made and are very confident and arrogant about the things that we have made. Um, and when we read Revelation, we see God takes the foundation, pulls the rug up beneath everyone's feet, <laughs> and they're all left just angry because there's nothing they can do anymore. That's exactly You're talking right. about the death of Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're talking about the fact that uh, the greatest godlike comic is Stephen Hawking's being in a wheelchair. Oh, yes, that's what <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just think it's kind of... All right. So, um, we're going to call it in just a few minutes. So, let me ask you two questions. Number one. 
Who's here? Can I miss something? My son in law? Oh. Don't! I beg your pardon. No, no, no. No, I can't believe I I was just going to ask if you if you think with the, the first couple that the magicians were recreating, if Pharaoh was aware if whether or not the same plagues were happening to Israel. Because it's later that it's included in the description of the plague coming that they won't happen to yeah. Israel. But for the first couple, it doesn't really say that. Yeah. So do you I, think Pharaoh wondered if the same thing was happening to Israel? I think that the answer should be apparent in history that despots and people against God's people don't really think about God's people unless they're in the way. But during the boils, he, he's made clear. It was clear. He's that told him. He's told. You know, yeah, this is important. Watch this. It's not going to touch my people. You know, it's like a little dome thing. Or whatever. But yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think I don't think the enemies of God think about God's people unless they're in the way, and if they're in the way, they think about them and how they can get them out of the way. Yeah, just because Pharaoh, Pharaoh obviously knew who could fix it, and because he kept coming back to Moses and Aaron, because none of they weren't being affected by it. What, what do you think about that? And at one time he goes, okay, 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 I sinned. Yeah. I, I've sinned here. I mean, I, was, I really, I messed up, you know. And I'm going to do three hail marys and go to mass <laughs> for four weeks in a row, you know. So pray for me. And Moses says, okay, I'll pray for you. Do you think he's kind of egging him on? Do you think that Pharaoh's kind of working him? Or do you think he was serious? It's hard to tell from the English. It is really hard to tell. It is. Yeah. So do you think Pharaoh could have uh, relented? No. Couldn't have. So God hardened his heart so he had no free choice? No free choice. No free will. He had free will. He always had free will. He always had free will. He didn't have free will. I always had free will. Because in the beginning it says. I think this is unique. I think we have free will, but I think this is a unique. Okay. Whoa! Yes, Tiffany. Stand by, Well, I guess, you know, as far as. I mean, you see in, in verse 8 where he was explaining that that he was going to be, you know, what his plan is. Um, I mean, obviously the Torah is written out like a um, legal contract. I mean, that we know why that the Father had a, um, every right to go up against Pharaoh and up against these gods. Um, legally, he, he had the right and so did... Um, so even now, if we give away his land, then or he legally has the right to come back and and make war with those that did that, even his own people. Anyway, um, that he he told. I mean, one one point that I thought he was telling Moses that he was he's specifically going to harden his heart, but isn't he sovereign? He knows exactly who Pharaoh is, and it even says, didn't we listen to? Uh, or what scripture was it where he said that I will have mercy on who I will have mercy. Um, you know, I will, that basically the he, he creates, that. yeah, and he creates those that, uh, sorry, I was out, I was Baby. my kids, yeah, yeah all that. Um, and so, you know, he is sovereign and he is just, and he's not going to, we're not puppets to him, but he will he is going to carry out his will and with whom he will have mercy and with whom he wills. So, um, 
you know, what I thought was interesting is how Pharaoh's reaction kind of um, is different with each plague. At the beginning, his heart hardens immediately because his, uh, his you know, sorcerers, in a sense, could do, replicate the same thing. But as time went on, as we went to the next plague, it's, um, he, he, you could see he started to soften a bit, right, because he makes a promise that he later breaks. And um, but as soon as Moshe prays to um, to God, then it and it goes away. He hardens his heart, or even it says that the father does. So it's it's almost kind of how I apply it to us in a sense that if we don't if we don't constantly, you know, this is kind of going off. I like the practical applications of Torah. Um, is that if we don't constantly um, are in, impressed with him and, and uh, study out the scriptures uh, spend time with him and so forth that we will it's almost like our heart hardens a little bit and we forget about him and then it's about us and um, we look back at what we're doing or what we can create or and so forth so I think it's it's obvious to him because he, in some sense, he felt he had control again because he could tell Moshe, okay, go pray your God, and then he got rid of it. So he had the power yes. once yes. again. So he kept his heart hardens, and then, you know, the story will progress next week. Yeah, okay, um, good. Did you have something to say, or had, were you trying to no, stop me from falling over? Before? No, you I had, had something to say. Yeah, okay. I had a question. I thought I was falling over. I don't think that we got to this part. Well, I guess we did if he's asking... <laughs> Uh, Pharaoh to let his people go. Um, I thought it was really weird, and maybe you guys know, he's only asking to let him go for a three-day uh, feast in the wilderness, or a three-day thing in the wilderness to offer sacrifices, and I thought he was asking him to let him go completely, and what is this three-day thing? I don't know that in the, fe the feast. What is this three-day mm -hmm. mm -hmm. thing? And I got you. Stand by. Oh, yeah. Do you have an answer to that? Uh, no, you were asleep. Reading, <laughs> <laughs> I Who wants to answer that about the three-day deal? Do you not find it just like the question before? Was it three days or was it permanent? Yes. Did he have the opportunity to resist or not? Did he have the opportunity to obey or not? Yes. Is it not both? Yeah, I've always heard that three-day journey out and then they were going to scram. Scram? Right. So, so you think Moses was lying just, and would then no, deceive Pharaoh? That's not what I said. I oh. said that's what I heard. Oh, oh well, it's the comic book version of the Torah. It deception. He doesn't necessarily promise they'll come back. Right. He just asks for a three-day journey into the wilderness. Yes. And kind of, you know, keeps it quiet as to, well, they go do a festival. But again, I don't think he specifically says we'll bring them back again. So um, there's a uh, there's a parallel here. If you go back a book, uh, Jacob is a three day journey ahead of Laban. That in that case it was Laban's yes. fault because he pulls the guys away. Mm -hmm. But it's a similar story here. And Jacob in that one doesn't tell Laban he's leaving. He keeps it a secret Sorry. and he sneaks off. And there seems to be that same story kind of repeating here. Um, and again, I think it's it's kind of the idea that uh, in in Judaism they like to teach the idea that you don't. Uh, you don't depend on miracles. So God, in a sense, has Moses take a very human approach to a degree with this with Pharaoh and kind of offer a deal 
but not like kind of. It's it basically sort of like um, we'll, well, give us three days off in the wilderness, and we'll kind of quietly not tell you that we're not planning to come yeah. back. Yeah, sounds like it sounds like conjecture, um, but at the end, what happens? What does Pharaoh say about the people? You need to leave. I never want to see you again. So even if he's only asking for three days, he's been given carte blanche. You need to leave. Don't work there and gets mad after three days. Well, he does. Hmm. Yes. I have a comment sir. on Rob Buckle first. No. Go ahead, Wayne. Now, keep in mind, that's very kind of you. But I'll pick. Okay. You, get, you get one box. You get one box. Is that the finger? Scripture in First Timothy chapter four, but the Spirit explicitly says that in a later time some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience um, with a branding iron. In other words, you know, you kind of you can reach this point. I think Paul describes it someplace else about being turned over um, to their own That at some point, if you continually resist and harden your own heart. There is a danger that you reach a point of no return. You bet. And at that point, I my view is that's when God said, "All right, that's what had, you want." We've had five, we've had five or six, you know, plagues here now, and you had opportunity to uh, relent and to submit. And even your own people tell you it's the finger of God. Right. And you continue to um, you continue to not do that. So fine. You want to you want to play that? Then I will play that, and now I'm going to harden your heart for my purpose. I'm going to help you do obviously what you want exactly. to do. Here's the desires of your heart. Yeah. 
Okay. Have a great day, and it's going to be a long week. Yes. I just want to mention something, but prerequisite. I have a certification in anger management. So if anyone's heart is hardened, I'll help, and it's all for free. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to mention a parallel between what happened during the time that Eli was the priest when Samuel was his assistant and what happened during the Exodus. Now, the Hebrews were having a hard time with the Philistines, so someone came up with the idea, let's bring the tabernacle. And Eli was in charge of it. They brought the tabernacle, and what happened to the tabernacle? It was captured by the Philistines, and they brought it before Dagon, their god. And we know what happened. Their god fell down. There was a plague. They brought it to a different city. There was a plague. And they decided, in order to appease the Kaddish Borahu, that they would actually take gold and make it into things that I won't mention because of mixed company. And they gave that as a gift to Hashem, and then they sent the tabernacle out. Now, what's interesting is during the time of the Exodus, it mentions that the Egyptians gave the Hebrews gold, and the Hebrews are leaving basically to show acquiescence to Hashem. But unfortunately, what did the Hebrews wind up doing with that gold? They made it into... into exactly. And just like the time of Rehoboam and Jeroboam, when there was a separation, and Jeroboam became in charge of the ten tribes, it was a special thing for him. He wanted to differentiate himself from what happened in Jerusalem. So he created two golden halves, set them up in two different cities, and the same thing. But what's interesting is it was the Egyptian people that volunteered that gold to, you know, really for the good of Hashem. They saw it happen, and it's sort of like it was their way to achieve salvation during that period of time for Hashem. So it's so important that when we help people and when they do something special, when they provide a gift, that the gift should go for the proper place. And, and try to avoid gold if you can. Uh, exactly. All right. Yeah. Especially uh, I got one, two, three. You. Um, well, on, on the topic of free will himself and sovereignty, I oftentimes quote uh, Paul, uh, in, in particular uh, Romans nine, mm -hmm. and and in in that they they tend to treat the question as if it were mathematics. Uh, it adds up or it doesn't add up. It's right. one or the other or whatever right. else. And Judaism takes a totally different perspective with regard to free will. Free will is is supreme in the in the in, in Judaism's view of this question of, of cause and effect, as it were. And the reason why they say it's supreme is because uh, they use Esau, as Paul did, as a perfect example of free will, and Pharaoh as a perfect example of free will. And the, and and what they say is that where there's great weakness, there's opportunity for God to demonstrate great strength. And Paul uses the same argument. And, and ironically, uh, he uses it. He's a very stubborn person as well. So he uses it in application and explaining himself. So with regard to Esau, Esau was, was in the womb, as Paul says, before they'd done anything. Uh, he was in the womb already a man of great weakness, a person of great weakness. And yet he had opportunity to bring honor and glory to God in exponentially more grand ways than Jacob did. But Esau chose poorly. And in the same way, Pharaoh, as the supreme leader of the world, has an opportunity to bring great glory to God. And instead, he chooses poorly. He has complete free will. He has complete free will. He was, he was made to do this. But he actually was made to do something even greater. And he chose not to do it. John. Uh, to that point, it, it, it appears as if God is teaching us through Pharaoh that 
is pride is causing this hardening of heart mm -hmm. and uh, use the word opportunity in psychological terms we all have what's known as a window of opportunity when making choices whether it be sin mm -hmm. whether you know and, and whatever it is and it's that window of opportunity it's that chance to to make the choice to turn around and not do what we were about to do so the, the, the free will the choice is always there but it's over time, that hardening of his heart did send him to that point of no return, as it were, and where he was just ultimately dooming himself. Yeah. Not, but it was all his own doing because he had it, the choice all along. You bet. And I think God helped him do his thing. Did you have a hand? Mary Ann. I know. Uh, <laughs> you know all? I don't. <laughs> You know, whenever I think about that whole hardening of the heart and the Lord did that in the discussion, I always end up in the Apostle Scripture in 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thess 2? 2 Thess 2, 9. The coming of the lawless one will mm -hmm. be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracle signs and wonders and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be Amen. saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who didn't believe the truth but delighted in wickedness. Amen. That passage kind of freaks me out, too. <laughs> and I think there's something just similar. Like Pharaoh, right? I always end up there when I, I don't know why. Sounds like Pharaoh. Yeah. Good. That they sent him a well, God, it says God sends the powerful illusion. That's right. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. It's, it's, I know. It's like, it's, you want to go that way? Yeah. Let me help you go that way. Gregory. What it just, because I might be wrong here, but just going back to the original Make question. Make a note, you might be wrong. <laughs> your original question was, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Yes. And the other reason that I think this is a unique situation is because of the verse that Mr. Upham had brought up, which is, it's like one of the I wills. It says, but I shall harden Pharaoh's heart. Before anything all happens, before before he, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, before all that. So you don't think that that could have anything to do with foreknowledge? Well, if it did, then that would still prove the point. Not if God he hardened his heart beforehand. If God knew that Pharaoh was going to harden his heart, and then God's going to help him by continuing to harden his heart. He can tell Moses ahead of time, I'm going to Then so harden God's the one doing it. So who's yeah. doing it? In the, but then but how you just said it was then God's the one doing it. You said he's helping, but he's still... <laughs> this is how Baptists get along with Presbyterians. That's right. <laughs> all right. All right. Final comment on the... Uh, on the messing with Pharaoh's heart. Well, if I could just throw a completely different way of looking at it. Um, the sages don't necessarily say that the hardening of the heart was the removal of his will, as sometimes I think we try to think of. Or the lack of the ability to make choice. Or the lack of the ability to make choice. Rather, they see the hardening of the heart as like um, an anesthetic. That basically, at this point, Pharaoh's like... His will is cracking because he hurts. He feels the pain of the plagues, and it's affecting his emotional state, and it's making it much more difficult to say no. That's, that's biblical for grumpy. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. And so what the sages say is the hardening of the heart was like an anesthetic. It's like he couldn't feel the pain, couldn't feel the conviction or whatever it was, 
And so that made it easier for him to kind of steal himself and deal with it and still say no. So it's not so much that God didn't give him the choice to say no, but rather God made it easy for him to say no. I got him behind me. There was uh, another hand over here. No, we're wrapping up. Yes, yes. Question since I had two and I only gave you one. Oh, Christine is moaning now. Tell me in a nutshell, like we started, in one sentence, not run on. Not sentence fragments. That's right. Tell me why I should care about this story. Ultimately, because of my faith, because of who I am, because of where I live, you gotta, you got to bring this home for me. Otherwise, I am reading a fairy tale. And who really cares? I'm going to take your dad first, and then I'm going to come back to you. 
Can you hear him at all, Marion? No. no. <laughs> Andy, it's your dad. We should care because it's going to happen again. Oh, now wait a second. You mean this is a first dry run? <laughs> this was a dress rehearsal. It's pretty good. It was good. And it worked. Exactly. So, does that mean that I need to be careful in case I'm Pharaoh in the next picture? <laughs> I wouldn't want to be Pharaoh. I wouldn't want to be Pharaoh. Okay. So, you wouldn't want to be an Egyptian either. Yeah. Maybe. All right. Yeah, there you are. That was a good point. That was good. <laughs> not, as, not as good, but this is our heritage of being uh, a nation born in sin and being brought out together. What is what is the ultimate essence of you leading your Passover Seder? What are you trying to impart to everyone at that table? To, for the sake of the children, to show them the, the nachala, the, the morashah that we have, the inheritance of this is this is God's bringing uh, and, and redeeming His people. You bet. Um, um, and and I should feel when we're done that He took me right. out of bondage. Exactly. With, yeah. uh, without the Exodus thirty five hundred years ago, there's no hope for anyone. Without the Exodus, now, you, now you're lifting this up pretty high. Let me let me see if I get this. Without this story that we just read, which we haven't finished yet, <coughs> there's no hope for anyone. That seems a little over the top. It's found in the first Aliyah. Where God says why he's going to do it. So we're back to Exodus 6, 6 and 7. So if he he would not redeem his people, Mm -hmm. whom he promised by his own name, then no one can be redeemed. So there is no salvation apart from the Passover. That'll preach, folks. That'll preach. That'll preach. Okay. Can the baby hear that? He's clapping. He's clapping? Are you sure he's clapping? He's probably delving. All right. Final comments before we close up. Did everybody sign up that wants to sign up for that Hebrew course? All right, so we're going to give you more info on that via email and all of that stuff. Sophia, did you want to close this in prayer? No? Not today? Okay. Soon. And in my days. Good, good. Has a woman ever closed this in prayer? No. Um, but she just looks so amazingly cute. Yes, that's exactly right. All right. Cool prayer rights. My friend Sean, who is losing his daughter for three months, would you close us in prayer? And may she she return. Father, thank you for these people. Um, They're they're a blessing to me and my family and, and to you, I know, Lord, is... Uh, you see everybody gather to lift you up, um, to study your word, to, to cry out to you in prayer. And um, Lord, just thank you for that, for the opportunity to be able to do that. Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone here, um, that you would um, follow them and, and watch them as they go home, and, and may everybody uh, have a blessed week and, and, and be safe. And Lord, just in everything that we do and say, 
We have been honored to your name. In the name of Messiah Yeshua. Amen. 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 Thank you, folks.